Good morning, LifePoint Church. So good to see each and every one of you here today. I want to kick things off by asking you a quick question. I want you all to be brutally honest with this. If, if this is your first time to LifePoint, um, understand that we are about being real. Um, we are not about like wearing the, um, the church facade, or I used to say mask. I can't really say that anymore. It's got different meanings. But, you know, we're here to be real, right, to encourage each other and lift each other up. Um, and so one of the ways you do that is by being honest. So I want you to answer honestly. Raise your hand if you're watching online at home or wherever. Throw up the hand emoji or something. But how many of you have ever been in a season of your life where you don't feel blessed? Yeah. Every single one of us that are here, we don't feel blessed from time to time. Right? How many of you are in a season right now where you don't feel blessed? Be honest. Anybody? Yeah, I know there's a few people that should raise their hand because I know what's going on in your life and I know how you, you should probably feel. Um, I know how I would be feeling if I was in your shoes. Well, today we're kicking off a new four-week series called Blessed with a question mark <laughs> because there are times... In life where we know, like with words, that we're blessed, but we don't feel it. Or we're in this situation where there's no way that I can be blessed because of this. Whether it's society or culture tells me that or I tell myself that. But in reality, we are truly blessed. Today we're beginning a new uh, four-week series where we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5. The first 12 verses. And we're going to be breaking down and looking at... Uh, what's known as the Beatitudes. Anybody ever heard of that? Beatitudes, right? My Sunday school church people, right? So the Beatitudes. And it's something that, I mean, I have heard these 12 verses read so many times in my life. Growing up in the church, going to Christian school from like kindergarten until I graduated high school, then going to Bible college for four years, um, and then even getting my MBA from a Christian university. I mean, it's, I've heard it a billion times. But as I began to study it, over the past few weeks, some new things have really come alive in this passage that I think are incredibly profound. Things that I've never really picked up on and seen. And I'm really excited about it because it really changes the game and it makes me like fall in love with Jesus more than ever. Because we see his character in it and who he is and what he's about. So we're going to be looking and breaking down these 12 verses, and, and this is the beginning what is, of what is known as the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' most famous collection of teachings. So there is just a wealth of knowledge in here. So I, I'm going to start, if you don't mind, and just read these 12 verses. And um, if you have your Bibles with you or an app, you can follow along. If you have them memorized, go ahead and recite them in your brain, whatever you need to do. But here we go, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Running through 12, it says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. That's why I sit when I preach. No, not really. It's just to keep me from wandering around. Because um, I wander around and I'll, I'll, my ADHD will kick in. But So Jesus sits down and his disciples come to him and he begins to teach them. And he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. 
Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And he says, rejoice and be exceedingly glad because great is your reward in heaven. For the same way they persecuted the prophets, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's beautiful words. But when you read those and look at them, you see blessed. And then you see situations that maybe don't typically go hand in hand with blessing. And there's a reason for that. These nine blessings presented and spoken to the crowds and directly to his disciples. On the surface, they seem very simple. Very straightforward, right? But when you begin to dive into them and you look into the context of this moment, when you look at the history and the current social and religious climate of that time and the actual words that Jesus spoke, when you look at all of that as a whole, as we should, man, these nine blessings truly, as I said, show the heart of Jesus and what he was all about and why he came what he placed value on. You see, through church history, many people have viewed Jesus primarily as a moral teacher, right? They've kind of put him in that box. There's a lot of people that have done that. And so what happens with people that primarily do that, and they look at Jesus only as this, this um, moral teacher, they, they kind of take the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5, 6, and 7, they kind of take that out of context, and then they make it into this, like, this rule book, Right, that's completely separated from the rest of the Bible, of the do's and don'ts, the things that we need to do. It's, it's morality. Jesus said it. And so they pull it out of this context, and they start to use that, which, yes, Jesus spoke on uh, morals. <laughs> he did. I'm not saying that he didn't. He did teach morals, but he always taught them to point us back to his true mission, to keep us focused on the main thing which was him. So when we take that out of context, we lose sight of really what he was trying to show us, what he was teaching, what he was doing in that moment, point in time in history, and how it impacts us today. You see, when we read and study scripture, um, we have to study it within context. I'm sure I could talk to each and every one of you who have been taught something way left field, crazy, not true, not, not what Jesus intended in all and what God did in preserving this word because someone handpicked a piece of scripture, pulled it out and said, this is what it means. Didn't look at what happened before, during, or after. Didn't look at the cultural context. We just want to use it to fit our agenda. It happens all the time. And that's not what God wants. That's what, not what his book, his word, his beautiful word is meant for. So we have to study it within context. And when we look at these 12 verses, the Beatitudes, and we look at it within context, 
you know, and the Sermon on the Mount. If you want to go and continue to study more, 5, 6, and 7, we have to understand what was going on in chapter 4. You can't just jump straight to chapter 5. There's four chapters before that. So what I want to do is, is I want to look at chapter 4 today a little bit, and then we're going to dabble into one of the Beatitudes. Don't worry. We're not going to, I'm not going to, because I know I'm already deep into it. Like, it's, we're already going. And y'all are like, dude, there's, there's how many blessings, Andy? We're not getting to all of them. We're going to get to one of those today. <laughs> That's why it's a series. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> but what we're going to do is we're going to look at chapter 4. We're going to kind of get a foundation of the context and, and what Jesus was doing here, right? And so we're going to look at two things, two pieces of context, two huge pieces of this puzzle, right? That are really going to allow these beatitudes to come alive more than probably ever before. Maybe you're smarter than me and you're, you're better. I, majority, if not all, are. So maybe this is just revelation to me and I'm just woo, excited about it. And you're like, oh, that's sweet. But, but I really think this will be impactful. So we're going to look at two pieces of the story. We're going to look from chapter 4. One, we're going to look at Jesus' core message. right? What is core message? What he was all about? And then we're going to look at, we're going to ask the question of who is Jesus talking to? Right? Who is he talking to? So first, let's take a quick look at Jesus' core and foundational message. And we find this in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Jesus came on the scene, right? He begins his earthly ministry, and he begins to preach, and he says this, first out of his mouth. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, and this is what he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, I've heard that on street corners a lot. My guy out on Dixie Highway is back at it now that COVID's lifted up. He's rolling. He's with it. But we've seen this done, and those words taken and used, honestly, that kind of push people away. It's, it's like a judgmental thing when Jesus is beautifully saying, hey, we need to repent. Turn from your old life, from your sin, and turn to me. Why? Here's my core message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. It's good news, right? He kicks off his early, earthly ministry, begins to preach and teach, and what he's doing with this foundational message is he's saying the kingdom of heaven is here. Basically what that means is that the kingdom of heaven is like this storyline that's all throughout the Bible. Because what happened is, is we screwed things up as people. We sinned, we brought sin into the world, and we jacked everything up. So beautifully, God begins to lay out like these promises in the Old Testament. These promises that lead to this present time that we're reading about when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven has come near. These promises of the fact that God will return and sit on the throne once again. The kingdom of heaven, his earthly kingship will be here. And Jesus was announcing it's time. I am here. I am the son of God. I have come to change the game, to switch it up. It's a whole new world. And that's what he did. And he said, this is good news. So repent. Just turn from your old ways. You don't have to live that way anymore. Turn to me. The kingdom of heaven is near. 
God will win. In fact, he's already won. It's a done deal. So Jesus announces his, his, core, his core message that frames everything. But to fully understand the Beatitudes and, and, and forward, again, not only do we need to know his core message, but we also have to know like, who Jesus was talking to, right? Who is Jesus addressing with the Beatitudes? See, I think we don't think about this a lot. We read scripture and we see these Beatitudes and we're like, that's, that's, that's fire, that's good stuff. But to fully understand it, we need to know who he's talking to and what he was trying to do. What was he accomplishing? Because with Jesus, it's never just surface level. That's what I love about it. There's so many beautiful surface level truths, and then you start looking at it, and it's like, man, not only is he dropping truth, but he is loving this person deeply. He's providing for them what they need. He's assigning to them value. There's all these other beautiful things that Jesus does when he teaches, when we look at his earthly ministry. But a lot of times we say surface level. But it's time to ask the question, right? Who was he speaking to? Who was he addressing? Well, in the beginning of chapter 5, what we just read when we started, it says that Jesus saw the crowds. He went to the mountainside and sat down, and then the disciples came to him and began to teach. So in reality, we need to identify who are the crowds and who are the disciples. Because newsflash, chapter 5, we don't have 12 disciples yet. We got four. So who was he talking to? So immediately following verse 7, or verse 17 in chapter 4, when Jesus says, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near, he immediately then, the next very first, the very next verse, we see him walking down the Sea of Galilee when he runs into two men fishing, right? Peter and Andrew. Two brothers. And he says, follow me. And they drop everything. Drop the nets. And they follow him. It goes a little further. Then he runs into two more fishermen fishing with their father. Right? James and John. Same thing. He says, follow me. Same result. Drop their nets. Bailed on their dad. He was probably like, what am I supposed to do now with all these fish? Like, what are we doing? And they followed him. So we know disciples, we got four right here. We know that that's what what we see. But then right following that, we see Jesus is going through the city, going around town, and he's teaching. He's preaching. He's proclaiming that the kingdom is near. His core message, he's sharing it. Chapter 4, verse 23 says, Jesus went through Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sick person among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and the people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering from severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed. And check it out. He healed them. Large crowds, crowds, large crowds, from Galilee and the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan, here's those two words again, followed him. They followed him. So who was coming to Jesus? The sick, the broken, the demon-possessed, those that people in society thought were crazy, lunatics, 
wild. The non-religious. Those were the people that were coming to Jesus. And you see in the Roman society in that time, all of those people that were listed there, they were nothing. Ignored. They had no voice. No value. Right? They were living like in the slums, probably barely surviving. They had no status, no respect, no honor in that elitist society that was the Roman Empire. But I want you to take note of the last two words of verse 25, which is actually the last two words in chapter 4 before we jump into chapter 5 where we see the crowds following and the disciples being taught. Again, verse 25, large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across from Jordan followed him. So who was Jesus speaking to? Who were the crowds? Who were the disciples? The crowds were the sick, the paralyzed, the demon-possessed, the outcast, the rejected, the disrespected, the devalued, people that were looked at as not even as human. That's who followed Jesus. That was the crowds. But we also know that the disciples came near, and a disciple is anyone who follows Jesus. So those crowds, those people that said follow Jesus, they're disciples. So this is who Jesus was speaking to. We know four of the 12 and then a bunch of rejects. People that society says, nah, I ain't got nothing for you. I ain't got no time for you. You're not worthy of even my, my glance. That's who was following Jesus. And that is who he spoke these beautiful words to. And you see, this was a complete shock to them, I'm sure. Because here's this, this rabbi, this teacher, Jesus, who's claiming to be the son of God. And he's doing all these amazing miracles and things. And he says, hey, follow me. Fishermen, just basic dudes. They weren't the uber religious. They weren't the elite. They're just dudes out there making our living, working hard. Jesus says, follow me. That's who he is. That's what he's about. And this is such a powerful piece of this story. When you understand who Jesus was stating these blessings over. That's powerful. So let's talk about the blessings themselves, right? The Beatitudes, right? Let's, let's move into that. What I want you to understand is that Jesus definitely wasn't the first person to pronounce blessings like this over people. In fact, it was very common for a rabbi or a Jewish leader or teacher to write or to say things like, blessed is, and then so on. That was common in the way of teaching and writing. So these people would have been familiar with that type of verbiage, right? That type of, you know, it's kind of like a three-point message today. You know, I hear them all the time. It's like, this is what we do, you know, although that's not today. Ha-ha, surprise. Um, but, but they were used to this, you know, and, and it was, we see it through ancient texts. It's in, in the Dead Sea Scrolls. You see things like this, right? And even in the Old Testament, we see this. 
this type of blessing being pronounced over people. Check it out in Psalms chapter 1. Psalms kicks off. Chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. He says those people are blessed. And then again later in Psalms 119, verse 1 and 2, it says, Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their hearts. These people, he says, are blessed. The psalmist is writing this. So it's very common language. This was years and years and years before Jesus hit the scene, and they're writing in this way. So the people are, are used to hearing this. But see, the difference here is that when we read these texts, right, even in the Old Testament, what we see is that there is something, right? There's a blessing, but then there's something that's, that's held up that's admirable, right, that's righteous, it's something that, that we are to strive to achieve, right? Like, to be blameless, to not be with the wicked, to, to not walk in their way. He says, when you do that, you are blessed. And then as we read on, especially in like Psalms 119, there's, when you're blessed, that means you are in fellowship with God. Right? You're walking in stride with him, you're blessed. Because you're not just blessed in general, but you're blessed by God which is the ultimate blessing. That means that, that there, are, there are positive consequences when you're in God's good graces. Psalms 119 lists some of those out, basically that, you know, that uh, things will work out well for you. We all want that, right? That you'll be wise, you'll have wisdom, that when you face difficult circumstances and situations, that you'll be able to navigate them well. You're blessed. But with Jesus, it's different. Even with some of the, the ancient um, texts that we find outside of Scripture, like I said, there's these blessings. But what began to happen is you read it over time, and it gets further and further away. What we see is that these blessings not only were just about like being righteous, being blameless, seeking God, but then it became intertwined with Roman, Roman culture and society. So then it became like, you are blessed if you're important. You're blessed if you were born into the right family. You're blessed if you look a certain way and talk a certain way, if you have all the answers. You're blessed if you're of honorable social status. These begin to work their way in, and Jesus knew that. And he said, no, nah, that's not it. So he shakes it up. He brings a different type of blessing. He wants to place value. Because think about it. These people that were following Jesus, if they were used to this type of teaching, like, hey, to be blessed, you got to do X, Y, and Z. Oh, yeah, and also now there's these new texts coming up and teachers saying, also, you have to be of a certain social status and you've got to have all the right answers and you've got to have a voice. And if you don't, then you're not blessed. These people that are sick, that are paralyzed, that are, that are demon-possessed, that are the outcasts of society, they have to look in on that and say, I'm never going to be blessed. Because that's not me. Nobody cares about me. No matter what I do, what I try, no one's even going to hear me. 
therefore I cannot be blessed. I'm sure that's what they began to think. And then so Jesus kicks off teaching to all these people that are following him with blessed is. Nine blessings. And I'm sure some of them are probably like, oh, I thought this was different. Here we go again. Here's the list of do's and don'ts and, you know, and how terrible my social status is and I'm never going to measure up. But Jesus changed the game. Ushering in a new kingdom, a new way. No longer is it about works. No longer is it about the law. No longer is it about, about your religious standing or your social standing or your economical standing. It wasn't about any of that anymore. It was about Jesus. Repent. The kingdom of heaven has drawn near. And so he shakes it up completely and shows them. And he does so by using the same language that honestly is damning them. That they think they have no hope because of. He uses the same language to say, here's the new kingdom. It's about my grace and mercy. And I love you. And I'm going to assign value to you. And he begins to present nine blessings. And as he does it, he just simply and powerfully affirms everything about these people that's the beatitudes i can imagine him looking at them and saying the kingdom of heaven is come and as i look around i see a bunch of people that society has rejected but i say you are the first to hear about the good news of the kingdom you are the first in, in the kingdom of heaven, you are honorable. You have value. You are worthy. I don't care whether you're sick. I kill that. Demon-possessed, I got you. Addicted, no problem. Past traumas that are wrecking you, I got you. He says, in my kingdom, is different. It's not like the kingdom of this world. It'll be different. So with the context and the foundation laid out there, right? His core message, who he was talking to. Let's go ahead and jump into some of these blessings, right? And we'll see how he was being incredibly direct and strategic in building these people up, giving them hope. First up is Matthew chapter 5, 3, right? Blessed are the poor and spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Honestly, this is kind of the, the, the beatitude, the blessing that kind of just encompasses them all. It's kind of like this beautiful summary of exactly what Jesus was doing with these people that were the rejected and the hopeless, the sick, the outcast that no one cared about. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's coming to you first. It's right here, right here before you. But maybe you're like, what is the poor in spirit, right? I've asked that plenty of times. Like, what does that even mean? Is that something I'm supposed to do? Do I need to, uh, uh, you know, that was my old religious mindset. Like, okay, how do I become poor in spirit? While I was like a basket case train wreck, OCD mess, like, terrified that God was going to strike me down because I listened to Tupac or something. 
Oh, I was definitely poor in spirit, right? But I'm like, so what's the poor in spirit? So maybe, maybe I mean, I've been there, and we've all been there, but so does the poor in spirit mean like poor, like, like we know it, like financially poor? Does it mean like spiritually, like bankrupt, like you don't know God or anything? Does it mean like, like what is poor in spirit? Basically, to me, the easiest definition of poor in spirit is anyone who realizes their need for God's grace and mercy. If you understand that without him you are nothing, you are poor in spirit. Hey, you are blessed. It's not about those who believe they have it all together. We know those people. We see them on Facebook. They're very loud. If that's you, no judgment, but I'm judging you. Um, (laughs) It's not those who think they're better than. We see you all too. (laughs) It's not those who find their worth and their value in this world, in their jobs, in their accomplishments, in their financial, their bank account, their cars. It's It's not about those people. The poor in spirit are those who just understand that they need Jesus. That's why he spoke that I believe is his first blessing over them. Because he knew that every single one of them, from the fishermen to the demon-possessed, every end of the spectrum, he knew that they could relate (laughs) to being poor in spirit. And he said, blessed are you, for yours is the kingdom of heaven and again this is not something that you can do her work towards it's just one's heart posturing towards god that says i need you i'm nothing i'm a screw up gotta have you that's what he was doing and that's why it was so shocking honestly that's why it was so shocking for them Because they had been told their whole lives that they were nothing. They had zero hope until they met this man, Jesus. And he starts healing people. So, okay, maybe there's some hope. Maybe I can get healed so then I can then work on my social status. And he's like, no, I'm going to heal you. But forget that. You are blessed. Because you're the poor in spirit. A perfect example of someone that is poor in spirit comes Jesus shares in a parable that he gives in Luke 18. It's one of my favorite. Like, I love this parable. I love this passage. It's in Luke 18, verses 9 through 14, where we see Jesus showing the difference between this, like, religious elite leader, like a Pharisee, and a tax collector. And so Jesus was teaching, and there was a bunch of Pharisees there. And so he says this, and he, to some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. It says Jesus told this parable. So basically he's saying, to all you who think that God is all together, to all you that are not poor in spirit or think that you're not poor in spirit and you're, you're not there, let me break this down for you. He said, let me tell you a story. He said, there's two men. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, oh God, I thank you that I am not like these other people, robbers and evildoers and adulterers or even like this tax collector bro just calls him out right i fast twice a week and i give a tenth of all i get showy 
embracing his own righteousness. But the tax collector, who if you've been, I've explained tax collectors quite a bit, they were the scum, cheats, thieves. Nobody liked tax collectors. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He was already physically humbling himself, knew that he was poor in spirit, knew where his role was, and it says he wouldn't even look up to heaven. And he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled. But all those who humble themselves will be exalted. The kingdom of heaven, God's kingdom, different than this world. This world says you got to have the social status, right? You got to have this many followers. You got to be from this, this family, or you've got to have this or that, be this political party, or whatever it might be, in order to be blessed. Not so with Jesus. Not so with the kingdom. Tax collector who was poor in spirit, who humbled himself, he went home justified before God. He was blessed because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Life Point Church, again, the kingdom of heaven is not like this world. It's not. It's beautiful. The kingdom of heaven is not like the church in America has made it out to be from time to time as well. Hello, that'll preach. I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. Hey, we can talk. All day I can. And that's sad. Because we've all experienced that, right? But the kingdom of heaven is beautiful. And Jesus showed us that with the Beatitudes, with his most famous collection of talks. He kicked it off with a group of outcasts rejects by society some fishermen and he said blessed are the poor in spirit i am bringing the kingdom of heaven to you first so what about you let's apply this let's make it personal because like we study scripture in context we also have to say how does this apply to me and take it personal So what about you? Are you poor in spirit? Something that probably you walked in today and be like, no, I'm not poor in spirit. What are you talking about? But are you poor in spirit? Or are you resting and holding on to your pride, your abilities, the things you've accumulated here on earth in this world, holding on to your effort and your good works and your, you know, religious works? Or are you simply poor in spirit? Knowing that without God, you're nothing. Maybe you struggle to answer that question. I get it. Fair. If you're struggling to kind of answer that, maybe you're in a good season right now. And you're just like, I don't know. You're in a good season. Congrats. (laughs) I'm happy for you, for real. But I want you to ask yourself this question. And it's a question I think we all need to ask ourselves constantly. To keep us humbled. To keep us on the right track. And it's this. How are you in need of God's help? How are you today, in this very moment, how are you in need of God's help? 
And if you can answer that question with anything, no matter how big or how small it may be, if you can answer that question, you're poor in spirit. Because you understand you need Jesus. And you need him in your life. So embrace that. Maybe you're struggling with a physical illness that has you wrecked. Continue to pray for healing. We will pray for you for healing. But understand that you're poor in spirit. And he's got you and you're blessed. Maybe for you you're struggling with addiction. You're battling it. Maybe for you it's financial struggles, relational struggles, working through trauma from the past that just constantly jumps up on you and just takes you out. Feel like you have no hope. When you get in that place, think about those people that came to Jesus, that were sitting around him as he taught, who thought they were nothing. Then he goes into sharing these blessings, right? And they're like, crap, here we go again. And he says, no, 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 this is different. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for his is the kingdom of heaven. He offers it to you. The question is, is will you receive it? You've not done anything that's too bad that disqualifies you. Nothing. Nothing has been done to you that disqualifies you. Because we're the poor in spirit. And because of that, we can know him. We can humble ourselves before him and say, God, I need you. And the beautiful thing is that he loved you so much, he sent his son Jesus to share this, but then to usher in the kingdom of heaven by way of sacrificing his own life for you. And then claiming victory over death, hell, and the grave as he rose again. That's our hope. That's what it's all about. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Embrace your role, your status as the poor in spirit today, because Jesus says you're blessed. Whether you feel it or not, you are blessed. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for loving us. Jesus, we thank you for your words. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for the fact that not only do we see these beautiful blessings over people and situations that don't seem like they're blessed, but Lord, you were so strategic with it that you assigned value to everyone. See, he brought this first, Jesus. You brought this to to the poor in spirit, but it's for everyone. But he just assigned value to a certain group of people that society, Jesus, you did that, that society cast it out. We thank you for that. We thank you for the lessons that we have in that. And Lord, may we follow your lead, one, in being, embracing, being poor in spirit, knowing that you are going to come and fix us and heal us and move us forward. And you're going to tell us that we are blessed, God. May we live from that truth. But also, Lord, as we do that, may we not look down on other people. May we not be that Pharisee that is bragging about the things that they have or their blessing, Lord, but may we humble ourselves and understand that just as they're poor in spirit, so am I. Jesus, may we stay focused on your truth. 
and your mission. Living in the kingdom here on earth. May our lives actually reflect that. May they reflect your truth. Jesus, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for assigning value to us when we are nothing. But through you, we are everything. May we use that to go and tell others about you and to live as you lived and to love as you loved, to assign value to anyone and everyone every single day because that's your gospel. That's your truth. May we live it. As we continue in the spirit of prayer, maybe you're here this morning and maybe you've never stepped over that line of faith, right? Maybe you've been coming to church for a while or it's your first time coming to church or checking it out online or whatever it may be, but maybe today God is showing you that you are truly poor in spirit. Maybe you've known that. Maybe you thought you just messed up so much that, that, that God couldn't want anything to do with you. Man, he shows us right here that he assigns value, that you are blessed. He says you are blessed, not Andy. Jesus says you are blessed. And his kingdom is there for the taking. Again, he died. God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross, a brutal death. Taking on your guilt, your sin, your shame. He died and then rose again, claiming victory so that you could truly be made right with God so that you could be blessed, be walking in stride with him, receive the fruit and, and all of the joys and all the blessings and all the peace that comes along with that and the hope in the storm. He did that for you so that you could be eternally connected to him. And, 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 and scripture says that it's about confessing and believing. So if you believe that and you confess with your mouth that he is Lord, right, you receive the fact that he blesses you as the poor in spirit. He says you'll be saved. Romans 10, 9, my favorite verses, says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God rose him from the grave, that you'll be saved. And I love it because it is a clear, beautiful picture of just surrendering to him. It's not about your works. It's not about anything other than just your heart connecting with his, confessing and believing. And so if you're ready to step over that line of faith, wherever you're at, you can just call on him, however he leads you. Just confess and believe. Receive that gift. If you have questions about that, I'd love to talk with you after the service. If you're here or if you're online, shoot us a direct message and we'll get in touch. Love to talk with you about it. But maybe you're here this morning and you are a Christ follower. And maybe you've come a little bit more like that Pharisee, looking down on other people, kind of, kind of a little prideful in, in the grace that God has given you. A little prideful in your knowledge. Prideful in your blessing. May we remember that we are truly all poor in spirit. And that's the only way that we'll be blessed is when we understand that and we remain humble. Because those who humble themselves will be exalted. So let's embrace that role today. You are blessed. I don't care what you're dealing with today. You're blessed. Jesus, again, we love you. 
We thank you. I pray that you would speak truth over everyone that's here, those that are watching online, Lord, whatever it is they need to hear today. Jesus, no matter whether it has anything to do with anything I said, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak truth and love over each and every one of us. And may we live as blessed people, not just blessed in general, but blessed by you, God, the creator of all things, worthy of all glory and all praise, Jesus. Thank you. worship through our tithes and our offerings here at LifePoint Church. There's a few different ways that you can give. Um, you can give if you're here in person on your way out the door. There's some envelopes right out the door, the table that's sitting there. You can fill it out, drop it in the basket. Um, that's one way you can give. Or you can go to our website, top right-hand corner is an online giving button. You click it, it takes you to a safe and secure place where you can give. Or honestly, the easiest um, giving option and the smoothest is going through our um, church center app. Um, if you don't have that, you can download it on Apple or Android, um, and um, you can scan these QR codes after the service if you want, get you there. But it's just super simple. It's a quick way that you can give. This also gets you connected with us, any events, small groups, things like that that we have, that we will be having coming up and launching on that soon. Um, so, but yeah, but however you choose to give, we're just so thankful that you're on mission, doing life with us, helping us to continue to reach more people with the gospel. Uh, the good news of Jesus, and to not only do that, but to meet needs and love on people, because um, that's what we want to do, and that's what we long to do, so we thank you for being a part of that um, on the financial end, as well as on the serving end, so 
Um, also, again, Church Center, get connected with that if you haven't. Um, if this is your first time here or first time watching, um, you can go ahead and jump on to um, our, our digital connection card. You can get to that by texting the word CONNECT to the number 502-236-9446. Text the word CONNECT to that. Sends you a link. Let you get signed up for that. We'll have text blasts and more information that we send out through that. Again, it's just a way we can get connected. So um, in this kind of COVID, post-COVID world, we're trying every avenue that we can to try to keep people connected. Um, whether you're comfortable, you know, being in person or you're not, doesn't matter. We love you all and we're, we're a family. And so we want to continue to do life together. So we're, we're, we're doing everything that we can. So jump on all those platforms and um, we'll stay connected. So other than that, thank you all so much for being here. I love you guys. And um, it's, it's just such an honor to be a part of this church um, with you all. So thank you all for being here, being a part of it. Um, join us next week as we move into chapter, or to verses uh, 4, 5, and 6. We're going to cover the next three blessings. So be here for that. Invite a friend or two or tell them about our online stream. So love you all and uh, have a great week. All right. Thank you all so much for being here with us once again for LifePoint Online. If this is your first time here with us, thank you all so much for being here and hanging out with us and checking out LifePoint Church. If you'd like more information or if you have any questions, you can either drop a comment below or you can visit us on our website or any of our social media platforms. And if you have questions, just go ahead and ask and someone from our team will get back with you as soon as we possibly can. Also, if you wanna to continue to worship um, with your tithes and your offerings, or if you just simply want to give to LifePoint Church, you can head over to our website. It's lpc502.com. In the top right-hand corner is an online giving button. If you click it, it takes you to a safe and secure place where you can give. You can also begin to text to give by texting the amount that you want to give to the number 84321. But however you choose to give, we're just so thankful and humbled by the fact that you're on mission and that you're giving back just a portion of what it is that God has blessed you with. Again, thank you all so much for being here with us today. We hope that you'll join us in connecting and doing life online throughout the week. And until next Sunday, we'll see you later. Have a great one.